What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Ranks, bringing you a, another episode where we break down a musician, director, uh, other p- piece of pop culture that we want to rank in some way. And today we're going to be talking Wes Anderson. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? Doing good. I'm very much uh, symmetrical right now, always in frame. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, uh, I'm doing well. If, I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Patrick Sheehan. We're, uh, we're hoping that if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of movies in some way. And if you want to hear our movie reviews, breakdowns of movie news, hit that subscribe. If you're on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod um, or go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and find all the ways to be receiving our takes dave you know we, when we first uh were kind of thinking what do we want to do next for nostalgia rankings wes anderson wasn't necessarily the first thing that came to mind you know we've been doing a lot of musicians and i think musicians lend themselves to rankings because frankly it's a lot easier to catch up on uh discographies of the musicians because we can listen to that passively whereas movies are a lot more engaging but got to say in preparation for this watching all these Wes Anderson movies to fill in some of the gaps for myself I just found myself wanting to move to Brooklyn man is that how you felt after watching these oh no no I, I, I didn't feel that um no there's a sense of longing I guess for the uh decades spanning portrayal of New York City in the Road Tenenbaums but mm. uh I don't know what I feel. His movies are very specific, obviously, but I don't know if I ever have any like overwhelming, like grand takeaway when I watch them. Even if he clearly has common themes, it's funny to hear you say that. Yeah, I think uh, you know when I think about how he is kind of portrayed, I think there's a very like Brooklyn vibe to him which uh, basically is synonymous with hipster when you talk about people who live in Brooklyn from New York City um however I it's funny because I think more so Wes Anderson has uh instructed the evolution of the hipster in Brooklyn more so than he is actually a hipster from Brooklyn I mean obviously um born in Texas uh, now currently lives in Paris. I believe he's lived in Europe for quite a, quite some time now. Probably has homes in several places. Probably somewhere in the United States as well. But um, you know, I I think that that very specific feel that you mentioned just comes across as uh, alternative in some way. And I think his movies. I mean, we we could have picked many other directors who have a lot more commercial success um, who have people have seen a lot more of their movies, but his movies are for people who like movies. You know, I think that's kind of the the thing that comes to mind with him is he's really an an auteur in that way where what he makes is very Wes Anderson. And so I'm excited to kind of break down what that means. Maybe we should start with what is just your relationship with him as a filmmaker? Are you are you a fan? When did you come out? When did you come on to him? Yeah, obviously a fan. I don't think I'd be doing this if I wasn't a fan. But <laughs> definitely came to his movies late. I mean, you know, Bottle Rockets '96, 
it's a long time before my adult uh, art critical brain emerged. So a lot of catch up on his movies. I believe the probably started being aware of them as they were coming out and like Fantastic Mr. Fox came out, I'd say. But I didn't end up seeing one in the theater, still Grand Budapest Hotel with an Isle of Dogs. So it's been a lot of catch up and like looking back, whereas he very much was a man of his time. Like when he was making every time his movies were coming out, they were, you know, being widely discussed online in print. Right. So it's it's one of those things where even though he doesn't like he's only in his early fifties, he's only been making movies for, you know, twenty-five years almost. It's not that long, but still like still coming at it, you know, removed in a certain sense. Yeah, similar experience for me. I, I think there was a a point sometime after I graduated from college that I became more aware of his work. I'm not exactly sure what that point was. Probably sometime between Moonrise and Grand Budapest, especially with the acclaim that Grand Budapest received. That was probably the 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 tipping point in terms of my intrigue with him and wanting to, you know, catch up on his films. But coming into us deciding to rank these, I still had not seen some of the earlier stuff. Um, you know, catching up on Bottle Rocket on uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Um, you know, there was certainly a gap. And I think after watching, I'm really struck with the uh, consistency in terms of certain themes across the movies, right? You already alluded to one, which is, I think, just the general style of the movies and the framing of his shots. You want to talk a little bit more about what you were referring to earlier? I mean, just, obviously, it's really intentional. It's always symmetrical there's a famous Koganata video essay where it's just like hundreds of Wes Anderson frames and stills from his movies and everything's everything's in focus it's a, it's very specific and uh, Robert Yeoman has been his director of photography for all of his live action films you can tell that it's a big part of what he wants to communicate with his stuff and as he's gotten older and he's made more movies the colors begin to pop more and the production design and the settings come across as unique and lavish even if they're not made on large budgets for movie standards but yeah i mean it, it's all in one hand it's almost an obvious thing when you watch his movies they have a visual style that's unique and it makes sense because wes anderson is one of the few director auteurs he's a product of a different time much like tarantino in the sense that Wes Anderson does not make take contract work. He makes the movies he wants to make. And only one of his movies is even an adaptation. You know, it's all original stuff from him. So he's 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 unique, no question. Yeah, definitely unique. And you know, you think about those like symmetrical shots, and uh, so many times I can think about in his movies when you have like the main character or a main character at like the very center of the screen, and then other supporting characters flanking him but in a very symmetrical way it's never like two on one side and four on the other it's always three and three four and four five and five and um definitely a uh, i think a style that is eye-catching and eye-popping and i think also 
in thinking about a lot of those shots, it kind of it kind of reminds me of a, a, another aspect of his filmmaking that really stands out to me is his use of miniatures and like stop motion, which I mean, obviously, two of his films being animated, Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox, quite a bit of stop motion um, animation of those, obviously. But even in a movie like A Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, you know, they there are parts where they show the boat and they show it like a dollhouse almost and like what's going on and all the different parts there um you know i think uh, another movie that reminds me of that is um grand budapest there are points when they kind of zoom out and show the uh the landscape and, and the hotel and it's you know a miniature and i think that kind of stands out and also kind of gives the feel to the stories they're they're timeless in the sense that there's not a lot of aspects of them that refer back to a certain time other than maybe like uh you know a general like this is happening in the 1930s but like a story like bottle rocket story like um uh, i don't know tenenbaums probably could have taken place anywhere from the 1980s to early 2000s pre heavy cell phone era and i think that really stands out that it gives it like a general kind of sense of time but they also seem like other than maybe the, the technological aspects that they these stories are all kind of timeless and especially what they're they're getting at thematically did you get that sense watching the movies as well yeah yeah i think so you know there's a there's a whimsy there's a certain worldview about the characters that seems to shine through even if the scale definitely shifts right grand budapest much more wide ranging across the lands as you said and uh, Darjeeling limited, literally a journey, never ending journey, unfortunately. Um, and you know, like no matter the scale of it, there, there, there always seems to be that kind of through line if you want to make those connections, but I think everything still stands on its own. For sure. Um, any other like stylistic choices that really pop, I guess maybe like the, um, the clothing and mm. like the, settings the uh, sets are just really always unique especially in the more recent films i think something like bottle rocket and rushmore feel a bit more kind of normal um and, and not so much like stand out like that but just the uh like the clothing costumes things like that always stand out to anything else yeah. for you yeah that makes sense you know grand budapest which was the biggest hit of all his movies 172 million worldwide nine academy award nominations including four wins and those wins would be for costume design makeup and hairstyling uh score for the plot and production design mm. which all makes sense as as you were saying and i think it's hard to watch what any more than probably one wes anderson movie and not see actors pop up from other wes anderson movies he likes to work with the people he likes right oh i mean there's what 15 people he's worked with in three movies one two three four five and bill yeah. murray and all of them bill murray and everything after bottle rocket is the the leader yep but also schwartzman and owen wilson who work with him behind the scenes as well it's uh that also has to be one of his trademarks just that he keeps working with the same people even people that he brings in uh more more recently, like Sir Sharon and pops up for the first time in Grand Budapest Hotel, is also in the French Dispatch. 
you know, yep. Scarlett Johansson, a voice in Isle of Dogs, is now going to be uh, acting live action in his untitled film he's making right now. So he just keeps adding to this ensemble while kind of keeping all his OGs in rotation. It's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is cool to see and to see them all, you know, play different characters throughout, kind of get different term, uh, different turns as supporting lead, um, somewhere in between. Uh, I, I really appreciate that, and I think it probably says a lot about him as a creator that so many people and so many high-profile people kind of drop mm-hmm. whatever they're doing or find a way to fit in his projects when they can. Yeah, yeah I just counted up. It's eighteen actors have been in at least three of his movies. And I mean, you think about Royal Tenenbaums, which has this wild cast, but they kind of managed to finesse the production so that they could fit in a Ben Stiller, fit in a Gwyneth Paltrow, who were very busy at the time. Everyone there making scale pay, not getting a big check that they could command normally because they wanted to be a part of that movie. And that's only Wes's third film. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable for sure. And I think the last thing that stylistically stands out to me about his movies is the soundtrack he has a pretty uh distinct year you know i think uh, grand budapest as the outlier in this discussion um for 60s and 70s rock music or i guess like maybe pop it might be a better like general catch-all but he also seems to kind of try to stick to one artist as like the main running artist for that movie you know like uh, the Kinks were, I think, the one in Rushmore. Um, he a lot of Bowie and Life Aquatic. Um, sorry, no, I think Rushmore actually it was Cat uh, Stevens, but uh, the Kinks were Darjeeling. That's what it was. Right. Um, and so in the, the Beatles, Hey Jude, Mr. Fox. Yep. In a royalty, of course. Yeah, a lot, a lot of famous moments, and they're always like, it's not just music on the side. It's like expensive drops whether it's a master recording or a cover a uh, big part of the movie's budget you'd have to imagine and like in some cases like in real tenor bombs they're carrying like big big scenes with that yeah. music yeah what is it in ten bombs has a i think it's one or two elliot smith songs which yes i mean that's that's a big big swing for music you know and really bring a specific vibe and i also imagine probably was fairly expensive to get those uh mm-hmm those rights so yeah i think that really describes it. anything else in terms of wes anderson movies when you think about them that we missed uh i guess not I, you know it's always fun to reflect on just when he came up you know making movies about 96 so he's late late 90s but you just consider everyone who came up in the 90s whether it's the early 90s or late 90s it's just really the who's who of the directors people like to talk about these days with tarantino and paul thomas anderson wes anderson uh, David Fincher, Alexander Payne, Steven Soderbergh. It, it's a it's a crazy uh, you know class and set of peers that he has, and all of them are still very active. Yeah, um, and and I think it's it's interesting because I think all those people have distinctions about him. But when I think about people trying to like rip off Wes Anderson, it feels like no one really can do that just because he is so distinct. Like people can rip off. PTA people can rip off Tarantino in some sense or at least like heavily steal like take aspects of their stuff Mm -hmm. but Wes Anderson is just so specific that to like take something of his almost is just like pure copying so um truly one of a kind and of course we're doing this 
in anticipation of the French dispatch, which will be dropping this October after, you know, a year of delays. Um, and then, you know, an untitled project that is also currently in uh, production. Um, so he's working, he's got some stuff coming out and these lists that we're going to be giving to you at the end of this may be evolving, hopefully evolving um, mm. with the French dispatch uh, coming out. Cause I have high, high hopes for that. Um, but Dave, why don't we start with just kind of working through his filmographies, his nine film, nine films, 1996 bottle rocket. I think we both watched this for the first time recently. What are your takeaways from it? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't really know much of what to expect film debut of both Wes Anderson, as well as Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson on the acting side. Owen Wilson co-wrote this as long with Rushmore wrote Tenenbaums growing up with Wes, the Wilson brothers did. And it's definitely not as like visually popping as some of his other stuff. The colors aren't quite as specific, but like, you know, I think like stuff with like the costume design when they're wearing like the yellow stuff and at the Mm -hmm. end, like there's still a lot of intentionality there. Uh, I liked the movie. I, I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I think the reason I didn't love it is, is like the point of the film. It's like, these guys are intentionally like portrayed as buffoons and like such Mm -hmm. small timers, you know, that's kind of like the whole point. Right. I didn't love how the romance started with Luke just because he's really just kind of creeping around in the hotel. I don't think that part is aged the best, Um, but overall it's pleasant. I think the best part about it would be Owen Wilson as uh, Diggum, I believe his name. Yeah. Uh, just because like the energy of young Owen, um, the ability to talk really, really fast and deliver on these lines that he, you know, co-wrote for himself uh, is probably the best part. I think the part that like has lasted for me. Yeah. You know, I, I think the um, like the overall like story, um, whatever it was trying to get at, whatever like the goal of the story was, is really what stands out to me. Cause I think, that's a very specific type of situation where you have this friend who, you know, really is, is kind of a, a loser in, in, in Diggum and he's kind of pulling Owen Wilson and, or sorry, Luke Wilson. And um, I'm forgetting who the, the other actor is who plays Bill along with him to do these, these stupid Robert heists. Musgrave as Bob. Right. Yeah. 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 As Bob. Sorry. And um, you know, they, they really obviously don't want to do it. Even in the final heist, they're saying like, I don't want to do this heist. <laughs> you know, I'm coming up, you know, and then <laughs> leaves the door. I don't want to be here either. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, that feeling of like, I don't want to be doing this stupid thing with this stupid friend anymore, but feeling that loyalty to them and being pulled in different directions of your life, but wanting to like still be that good friend. It's a very like late 20s, early 30s type of, situation and i i think that really aged well i agree the relationship stuff doesn't work and even in watching their relationship it, it's just kind of like i think of the part of the movie that i find least interesting um this actually feels like a movie that if he were to like do a remake could probably do a lot better job with now but i think this being his first film it's it's pretty clear he's like still trying to like figure out his style figure out what he wants to get across but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is really an Owen Wilson showcase. And uh, I, I think something that had a lot of potential, but just never fully realized. 
All right, yes, they're landscapers, but they're also <laughs> thieves or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, James Kahn's in the movie. He's billed as a part of the movie. Definitely yeah. was the most famous actor in it at the time. But he's really barely in it. You know, I would love to have more of that presence. But yeah, I mean, it's really focused on those three guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, so after Bottle Rocket, just a, a short two years later, Rushmore comes out. And Rushmore, I think, is is a clear level up for Anderson. You kind of see that he's really starting to find his groove. I still don't, I think when we get to this later, um, I still don't think it's in his top tier of movies, obviously, but it has a real cult following. And uh, I really appreciate that aspect of it. Um, I enjoyed Rushmore a lot. And mostly because I'm not a huge Jason Schwartzman fan. I mean, anyone that listened to our review of the most recent season of Fargo, um, he never really works for me, but in this, I, I just thought he was absolutely magnetic and to get me to want to follow, um, you know, this character, Max Fisher at all is, is an accomplishment. Cause he's, he's pretty like not fun at all. He's pretty horrible person. And I think that's what stood out to me. What about for you? Yeah, that, that that's, that's the thing that holds Rushmore back for me as well, which as you said, is quite popular and in as many people's top tier of West films, but not, not for me either. And I think that's just because Max Fisher sucks. Like I can't stand the dude and that's nothing to do with like, you know, bad people watching a bad person in, in a film or TV or anything. It's not that it's just, that I don't like being with the dude, you know, it's like, I never feel bad for him. And I just get annoyed with his antics and like his lack of responsibility with for his own mistakes and stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I found so much of the movie really grating, you know? Yeah. And I, I like this is Schwartzman's film debut. It's a good performance. Obviously it catapults his career and his relationship with Wes, but you know, I think a lot of people actually really like to look back on Bill Murray's uh, yeah. character in this, the first Bill Murray Wes collaboration they've collaborated on every movie since that Wes has made of course I think I like that stuff and like and there's moments I like in Rushmore like when they're briefly like having a uh escalating prank war in a certain sense and the stuff at the schools is fun and all but yeah I just never really got invested in Max and also kind of like Bottle Rocket he's really creepy to his teacher Mm -hmm. and in this case you know he's a young precocious naive teenager so it's not quite doesn't quite all come across as quite as bad as like Luke Wilson and Bottle Rocket, but still not like something I like, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, Rush Rushmore, I wanted to like it more. I really did. Yeah, you know, it's it's I think it's not a bad Wes Anderson movie by any means. I think I agree. Bill Murray obviously is a standout in this and this kind of rejuvenates his uh his career, kind of sends him into that. Uh, supporting actor type role you know and obviously leads to him getting some lead actor roles down the line uh i i think i also kind of remember when i think about the movie remember like brian cox as being a mm-hmm. someone that was a, a welcome presence <laughs> just kind of being this like really funny uh i don't know like very like sure yeah but like yeah that and then he has those moments where he's like what the hell kind of kind of character luke wilson coming in to 
get just shit on a couple of times by by max um you know i there are definitely moments and i can see why this could become a, a cult classic the the plays the really elaborate like high school plays was a a funny running bit. There's a lot here that you're like, okay, he's starting to figure it out and definitely a step up for me from bottle rocket. But then obviously he truly levels up and and has his first major um, accomplishment probably in in filmmaking with Royal Tenenbaums. And I say major accomplishment because not only does this, uh, is this a movie that I think is a, a much better and fully realized movie than any of the previous two, but also finds that commercial success with Tenenbaum that he hadn't found to this this point and also gets his first Oscar nomination for original screenplay with this. Um, Tenenbaum, I mean, uh, I, I assume you're a fan, right? Yeah, this this movie is great. So good. Yeah. And it should be the first point, first movie people point to of his for a lot of his style because it's much more on the surface and easy to point out and look back on. Yeah. I think, uh, I think this also really starts that running theme of like families, um, fathers, especially with families and figuring out relationships with sons, figuring out relationships with parents and um, Tenenbaum is just, fantastic for so many reasons you get so many great performances in it obviously gene hackman in one of his like final like big performances it's his second to last role before he retires and uh he's just absolutely fantastic and it kind of crazy that he almost turned it down you know because it's hard to imagine like i think michael kane was rumored to potentially also you know or be in the running or or be like the second choice to hackman um but yeah, once they get Hackman, everybody else kind of falls into place. You mentioned Ben Stiller and Gwyneth Paltrow had really busy schedules and fit this in. You have Danny Glover, Angelica Houston, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson. Everybody's in this. And, uh, you know, I think this story also just has so much heart to it, which is obviously another piece of these uh, Wes Anderson films. They all have like a beating heart below them, no matter if they're one of his best or one of his worst. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love Tenenbaum, man. Going back to it, um, I, I went back to it just earlier this year um, and was just like really uh, blown away by it still. Any, I mean, is there anything else really to say? I think the, the it's pretty obvious it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just there, there's so much cool stuff, right? Like, like the visuals, like people being the Tenenbaum family for Halloween is a thing that's coming up on 20 years, you know? It's, it it has so much status and the hackman performance is so paramount i would say to the movie he's he's incredible in it and that's despite the fact that uh there are some parts that don't don't come across well like he's kind of racist to danny glover his mm-hmm. character you know uh yep calls him coltrane and so will talk jive like it's it's not good it's not good mm-hmm. but you know thing overall the movie just incorporates so much Wes Anderson like qualities and like the, the the nature of New York City in this too and how it's like parts of it are 70s yeah. New York parts of it are 90s New York and you're never quite sure exactly where you are but you still feel like you're in New York City really cool you know like the, the stuff I feel like every every like major character has like really important scenes and like Luke Wilson um, tennis meltdown yep. as a cutaway comes to mind and 
the Hey Jude needle drop when they're doing like the character introductions. Um, mm-hmm. Just funny quotes like when uh, Hackman meets Ben Stiller's kid, he's like, oh, sorry about your mo- mother. She was a terribly attractive woman. <laughs> just, there's just so much that you could take away. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, seeing all these, these people interact is so great. And then, you know, you also have some really like, just like heartbreaking moments. You know, I think, I think for me, I, I come back to like the, the ache of like Chas and, and, royal you know and, and chas just wanting like to like resolve that relationship and, and kind of getting that like ending moment where he's like the one with his father you know um when when he, he passes uh, all the stuff between margo and richie and you know richie being completely heartbroken when the the private eye like shares what he found you know the attempted suicide the whole like tenor of the movie shifting after that it's just like really really masterfully done and and i I think the overall aspect of like royal bringing his family together by letting go of control of things was really like just a really like profound uh point to the movie that um this really is like i think when he really finds his stride which is kind of funny because then just looking down at at the the next couple movies that come you know we have life aquatic with Steve Cizot, just a few years later, two two thousand four, and while I think there's a lot of like Wes Anderson stylistic moments in this that really stand out, it just didn't did not reach that same level as Tenet Bomb for me. Uh no, no, obviously it didn't. Um, famously, not a box office success, not a critical success, especially in the wake of Tenet Bomb, big disappointment for. Wes Anderson and it has a lot of those trademarks still you know like the visuals the colors the framing there's a lot of like Wes Anderson stuff going on in Life Aquatic but it's almost too much of it right like it's it's this really like indulgent movie that I still think is quite likable and fun but and I like it more than Bottle Rocket and Rushmore but it's still you know maybe it's just kind of like lacking some you know, propulsion, even though like the quest to find that shark doesn't quite, you know, do it. Like I still yeah. enjoy the movie, but it's uh something's gotta be uh, a lesser film in the filmography. And I think this is it for, for a lot of people, but I, I still enjoy it. Yeah. It's a bit meandering, you know, um, the, you know, starting it off, I think in a really smart way where, uh, Steve Zizou is this like Jacques Cousteau type character and um, he has this documentary and loses his partner and is going to find this shark to like kind of prove to everybody that, that this actually happened because I think a lot of people are questioning that and wanting to like exact revenge in some way. It starts off really intriguing and then you know you, you get Owen Wilson coming in as um Ned, um, also kind of his his son, uh, Kingsley, renamed by Steve in the movie. Um, you have Kate Blanchett, who's pregnant, and that's like a whole running through line. Angelica Houston and Jeffrey Goldblum going back and forth. There's like a lot of like stuff going on in this movie, you know, and it's like a father and son film. It's like a, a like old man realizing like 
what has his life really meant? What's been important? Kind of like last great hurrah. There's like a lot tied up into it. And it feels just a bit too big at points. It's, and this is one of the longest run times of Wes Anderson film. I mean, it's close to two hours. Um, some of his other mo- later movies will be around that time, maybe even a little longer as well. But it just feels long to me watching it. And um, yeah, I think he was just trying to do too much and didn't focus in on one thing too much here but yeah the, the picture you have behind you is one of the visuals that i i take away most from the movie everybody like crowding around steve sizo as he's looking for the shark and exploring the the deep and i think the visuals underwater are really really strong too like the glowing fish and stuff like that really stand out um anything else from this movie that you want to talk about or you want to move on to another west movie yeah let's move on to darjeeling limited 2007 and this is as far as acclaimed filmmaker goes the the dark times you know back-to-back films that are not financially successful is one thing but not super popular amongst his fans nor the critics three years later 2007 yeah and we want we want to talk about movies that feel long this movie felt really long this it really was fucking five endings bro like it never ends there's so many times it could have ended it just doesn't it keeps going yeah and, and you know wilson Owen wilson brings a, a similar vibe that he did with Dingo in, in um in bottle rocket but adrian brody and schwartzman are so toned down in this movie and so like almost feeling like a bit listless at times and, and internal that the movie feels really like heavy and just a slog at a lot of points, especially when yeah. it passes to them. And I think that's kind of the issue is this trio of brothers. I don't think the movie does a good enough job at making you invest in their spiritual journey, as it were. Like you just don't care enough about them. And ultimately, I think the biggest takeaway with Dara Jilling is it's just a great thing to point to for just Wes Anderson's cultural blind spots. Like to this point, and uh, in the future co- characters of color are often just kind of on the side in his films usually without many lines think of like pagoda uh and roti or uh pele in life aquatic you know it's like they're mm-hmm. just kind of dan danny lover of course as well you know they they're just kind of to the side it's a movie about white people and like white pov but in this it's from that which is one thing to a more offensive thing because you kind of have like that cultural tourism stuff going on these three brothers going to india and you know when they go and see this that they uh they, they go save the the two boys but the one drowns and it's like the death of the indian boy is what finally gets them to have their epiphany and their awakening and like even before that the stuff on the train with uh, Mara Karan's character, it's in like Schwartz. Rita. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I, I I couldn't help but feel like it's just like, oh, wow, these are like classic Gross. white people in a foreign land stuff going on, you know? it's Yeah. And, and like, if the movie was better, you could probably get over it quite easily, but you can't because like, it's like the whole thesis of the film is this the entitled dudes they don't even like that much. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think the point about, uh, you know, kind of using 
this foreign land is like this like whimsical soul opening experience and uh it just felt a little gross at points and um i i I really go back to like you know adrian brody i've uh, I've had mixed feelings about i'm excited to see what what he brings for um you know uh, the next wes anderson film but also Mm -hmm. he's going to be in succession this coming season i think he could be really good with that playing probably a slime ball of some sort but he plays like a really wholesome person struggling with uh you know impending fatherhood the fear of losing a relationship and it's all like super toned down and, and I, I i feel like i want to see him do more of like weighted in grand budapest right where he's like this like i don't know this almost like comical uh cartoonish like villain kind of thing like give me that adrian brody not so much the internal one and same with schwartzman whereas uh, i feel like he doesn't really get that many moments to like really stand out and shine he feels very like internal and uh, i i don't know this uh I, I, this movie just did not work for me and then when angelica houston shows up i'm like oh kind of nice to see that but i also feel like that feels problematic in some way you know her being like this leader of this cult they need me type of thing like that white savior i mean just at that point you just want the movie to be done by now you know there's a good 20 minutes left still yep uh and but again i think some of the themes that you're seeing are like the the family and you know dealing with trauma together um family exploring or trying to come together you know heal the broken family over a mm-hmm. parental loss of some sort yeah. so i don't know i don't want to talk too much about this one because yeah. we have a much better movie up next but yeah there was one last note about it is he also made a hotel chevalier which is a short film that acts as a prologue to the darjeeling limit it's like 13 minutes long it's about schwartzman and uh natalie portman's character has a brief cameo at the end of darjeeling mm-hmm. limited and that movie that that short uh i think premiered at venice when the film premiered and then ended up getting released on the app store i believe so that's out there but yeah uh wes after some critical drubbings some financial drubbings with life aquatic and darjeeling limited two late years later oh nine his first adaptation comes to pass roll doll welcome return the form fantastic mr fox based off the road doll was it a short story? Is it? Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, he gets a, a uh, nomination for this for best animated feature. Yes, um, didn't win. Do you know who 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 did win? What this is? Oh nine animated feature. No, I don't. I can't think of it. Pixar's Up wins, which is tough to argue against. It's a beloved hmm. Pixar film. I Love Dogs also nominated for best animated feature. And did not win. Do you know what I Love Dogs lost to? Probably Coco. Is that around that Close. Time? That's the year before. Hmm. Year before. Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Oh yeah. I mean, which that that totally, totally fine with that as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think this probably should have won uh, over Up, but yeah, I can't argue Into the Spider Verse at all. Um, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, man. Uh, Clooney's great. Gives a great. A vocal performance uh you know you obviously also then have meryl streep giving a great voice performance and just it's a really fun film and i think you can really just like lose yourself in the story of this you know fox who is like basically having to compromise on 
his dreams, compromising the life he wants to have of being a, a chicken robber and uh, having to find a, a more normal job for the safety of his family and just having that longing for it and um, it, trying to prove himself to his family, trying to fix, you know, right his wrongs. It's just really fun, you know, seeing the, you know, Bill Murray play the, what was he, a wombat who was a, a lawyer or something like that? I forgot exactly what animal he was but like seeing like those sorts of like interactions and uh man really really enjoyed it what what did you like about this movie i think for me it's the performance you know um and visually it's cool because it has all the west takes we've been talking about but there's a lot of like top down views and like zoomed out like you're looking at the whole landscape but because it's stop motion it just is presented in a different way so that's the mm-hmm. stuff that i like the most is that it's really well done animation and you don't get this kind of animation all that often because it's not as uh, affordable to make as CG so that and the the Clooney of it all this is a movie I came to late like I, I, I saw it um, after all the hype I think I, I saw this on a plane actually for the first time hmm. and that, definitely a great plane movie no question and, and like <laughs> yeah the little screen you know low def doesn't the stop motion isn't harmed by that you know it's not like there's some grand scale you're missing yeah and it definitely is something that like holds your attention you know i think it jumps from scene to scene i guess like set piece to set piece kind of thing um yeah and just to just to correct myself uh bill murray plays clive badger so he's a badger but yeah there's a lot of really like fun vocal performances uh one that stands out to me willem dafoe as rat like that crazy rat really really fun when he pops up and brings a really like brooding and uh like weird presence to the film um obviously i i think there's some really funny lines in this like when uh when they're talking to pd and they're telling him he wrote a you wrote, wrote a bad song pd that's just a bad song like a a really like fun reading of that line i don't know man just uh i I think i think this is definitely one of my favorites and we're going to talk about isle of dogs but putting these two together um i think he doesn't quite capture what he does in this film in isle of dogs which i think makes it even more impressive that this is just uh to make an animated feature when that's not really what he's done so something i think we only know people as of like tim burton status to be doing you know making these li- yeah. live action films and the, these animated films on the same level yeah it's uh it's good it's good but i might actually rank isle of dogs higher tbd hmm. we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a second then um so then three years three years later we get moonrise kingdom uh which fantastic mr fox was certainly a return to form or uh continue or return to form for him in, in a sense but moonrise kingdom is seeing him get back to obviously live action um, actors and movies and i think recapturing what he found in ten bomb in this movie i mean mm-hmm. moonrise kingdom i it's a lot at a, the top of a lot of people's lists for wes anderson do you think it deserves to be up there Yes, I'm very high on Moonrise Kingdom. I like it a lot. Uh has a lot of the classic West themes, but interestingly, it's his first one to be focused on actual kids, right? Preteens, you know, not younger than Max Fisher. 
Ben Stiller's kids in Road Tenenbaums are supporting characters at best. You know, this is centered on on kids and it's about like their journey. And it's really cool to see that, I think, uh, pulled off by by Wes, but still feeling like one of his movies. Also, I just love everything with the scouting in it, you know, as a as a scout, Boy Scout, as someone who worked at Boy Scout camp for many, many years to see the khaki scouts led by Ed Norton and doing a lot of like yeah. classic like scouting cliches and stuff in the movie. But I, I just love all that stuff. And like there, there's there's so many fun moments like you get a uh, young Lucas Hedges in like his first acting role as like one of the uh, Boy Scouts is trying to like bring them home. And like they have that that standoff fight in the woods, you know. There's so much fun yeah. stuff. I, I like it for the kids, and yeah, you know, I think if anything, like I I connect less with a lot of the adult characters in this than the kids. And the adult characters are obviously familiar people we know, such as Bill Murray and Ed Norton and stuff. But I, I just really like the journey. I guess maybe like I don't love the ending. I love everything up to the ending, but mm-hmm. still like it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think the adventure and that feeling of like having a, a childhood adventure that feels surreal and, and feels, uh, you know, I, I guess in ways almost kind of like a, a Greek like story, right? Where you have all these different like people that they're running from, people that are chasing them. You mentioned the fight with like Lucas Hedges, things like that. There's like this brooding sense, but the center of this like love story and this like very, uh, it just has like a very specific feel that I think you can relate to and and it feels nostalgic to a lot of people. So I I really appreciate that. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think like some of the uh, parental and adult figures in this are hard to connect with. I mean, someone like, Ed Norton feels totally unrelatable to me, but I think you can start to kind of like, as you, as, as I get older, at least I can start to feel a little bit of like what the parents feel in this somewhat. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I'm looking at the, the cover photo that you have behind you and I kind of forget that Bruce Willis is in this at points. Um, yes, which is, it, it's just funny because like, he's such a big movie star, but it just kind of falls to the side with this. Um, it's also interesting because when I think about this movie, I think about summer and I think that has a lot to do with his choice to like kind of wash everything in like sepia and yellows in this, like even the background is green, but like with like a yellow tint to it. And it really feels like you're like out on a hot summer day. I wasn't a scout, but I imagine you probably had a lot of those days where you're just like out kayaking or canoeing or camping. It just felt like it was just like sun constantly. Right. Mm, that, that, that's why you're there man be out in the <laughs> shit doing things yeah <laughs> yeah oh man yeah i know is my favorite of the adult characters though just because he's the sky leader so yeah yeah i like moonrise kingdom another movie i came to late like a movie like i heard about for a few years before i actually saw it yeah same here but you mentioned that the grand budapest hotel was the first wes anderson film that you saw in the theater and I think this was nominated for what nine academy awards yes nine nine noms including uh director and picture and it won four down the line crazy academy awards and it, it was my first west anderson movie in the theater it probably was a lot of people's first because it's his most financially successful like i said 172 million worldwide and was you know that's the first best director nomination at the oscars he of course did win the indie spirit for directing back for rushmore but 
this was like the coronation of sorts for Wes, even if it didn't win any of the top prizes. Yeah, I didn't see this in theaters. I think I saw it shortly after the Oscars that year because I saw it in one stuff. It was nominated a lot. And I wanted to uh, catch up on it. Um, this this film's just really delightful. You know, <laughs> you get Ray Fiennes in one of the juiciest roles of his career, I'd, I'd probably say. Uh, you know, being uh, Gustav is like, the kind of part most actors just dream of having <laughs> um and you you kind of have him running around with uh tony revelari um mm-hmm. who as zero is just like plays such a believable kid but you see like his confidence growing growing throughout the film and it's like really fun to see him like develop and yeah it just feels like everybody every character in this movie is like growing 100 on the black just really operating yeah. on all levels really fun to see yeah funny thing about tony rivalori too is now you get to see him as a like 20 something in the tom holland spider-man movies and he's just so different than what he was yep. in this because he's he's, he's a dick a, in those movies he's a dick by design as <laughs> yep. uh, whatever his name is the antagonist of peter parker yeah mm-hmm. uh, th- i think what's so fun about grand Budapest hotel is it has again all the things you expect from him with the visual stylings and like the thematic ideas but it's on a bigger scale the biggest scale he's had this this far even when early on when you're in the hotel it just feels like such a daunting impressive setting but then once this plot picks up and we have left the hotel for so much time we're just kind of like bobbing around in these mountains and stuff on cable cars in a prison sneaking away in a car like it it's probably his most propulsive movie and that's why I like it so much. Yeah, propulsive is a good word because it does feel like you're never in one place for too long once you leave the hotel at the beginning. Like they have the setup and then it's you're in a train, you're at the reading of the will, you're running across wherever, you know, they're 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 being chased, you're trying to get away. And it, you know, I think a, a lot of these West films have that like caper feel to them, but this like at times almost feels a bit like Hitchcock in some sense, you know, like, like that scene where Will, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, uh, Jopling is chasing Jeffrey Goldblum's uh, deputy Vilmos Kovacs character around. It's like, it, it, like through the museum and he finally kills him where he like shuts the door and his fingers come flying off. Like that scene feels like, like North by Northwest at points, like some of the, the shots in it. And it's, it's really just like, him trying stuff and it really working really well and seeing the way that all the parts kind of move together and operate there is like a a mystery sense to parts of it that really comes together really really well at the end and i think it has a really sweet ending too you know where um uh what's the name murray abraham f murray abraham playing Mm -hmm. the adult zero um talking about why he keeps the hotel and he did it because um agatha and him were happy there for a short period of time and like what you take away from from that probably means something different to everybody but just uh i think it's a really sweet ending and yeah i just really really enjoy this movie and everybody all all, like the big name actors and i mean you get down to like the second or third line it's like harvey keitel has like a what like five minute cameo maybe in this like it's really just really fun to see them all yeah pop up it's great yeah also interesting that uh, grand Budapest hotel 
was Wes's second movie with Fox Searchlight after Darjeeling. And since then, he stayed with Searchlight. Now, just Searchlight Pictures, Budapest, Isle of Dogs, and The French Dispatch. And you know, if you actually look at his filmography, even though he's been with Scott Rudin, the producer, now disgraced for a long time, the way like Tarantino was with Harvey Weinstein for a lot, he's at, uh, Wes has actually jumped around a lot with his distribution. Bottle Rocket was a Sony movie. Then Rushmore, Royalty, and Life Aquatic were Buena Vista, part of Disney. Darjeeling's Fox Search, like Fantastic Mr. Fox is 20th Century Fox, and everything else is Searchlight. So he, it, it's kind of weird to see him actually jump around that, even though like now he's not making indie film anymore, and he probably has his home there. I think it's a good home to be at Searchlight in terms of these kind of movies. Um, so also, you know, seeing all the Oscar success he got with Budapest Hotel, you know, the reputation of Searchlight uh, doesn't need to be sold, I guess. So it makes sense that he's sticking around, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, just thinking about this movie too, I think one last thought I had is I think in terms of like the costume and setting style, this is maybe my favorite Anderson film in that sense. I mean, Tenenbaum is iconic because those outfits are very easy to replicate and people do, like you mentioned, the Halloween costume of it all. But like the the purple suits on Ray Fiennes and Zero or, uh, you know, Adrian Brody and Willem Dafoe dressed all in black, really like those like evil villain characters just uh, really, really stands out. And then you think about like the Nazi uniforms as well, aren't like they, they don't feel like the traditional ones in a way. They're like kind of like bright gray in a sense. And then as you know, at the end of the film, they, they turn black and uh, I find these black uniforms so drab, just like really uh really fun and then like you you see the the grand budapest hotel behind dave and like the pink of it all and like the colors inside the hotel really pop it's like really really fun um yeah and then we 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 talked about isle of dogs we've reviewed it for nostalgia go check out that review and i think what we talked about with that review if i'm recalling correctly was that we really liked it felt like it wasn't maybe a top like three or four Anderson movie but I think we we really felt like it still had enough to make it a really really solid movie and we're kind of grading on a curve at this point because when we're saying like ah it's a good Wes Anderson movie it's better than most movies that you watch Mm -hmm. in a given year and this is kind of in that category for me yeah yeah I agree um I think the biggest thing with Isle of Dogs it's just that conversation about again like uh, Wes Anderson's blind spots and in this case like I don't think Isle of Dogs is offensive as Darjeeling, but mm-hmm. it's a different kind of thing. And it's a conversation that was had in 2018 that we wouldn't have been having if it was 2008, where it's like clearly intended as a homage to Japanese culture and Japanese filmmaking. But there's just key choices in Isle of Dogs that distract from that, namely that the dogs speak English mm-hmm. or that you know the voice acting is English translated for us whereas the Japanese characters don't get subtitles. So like the Japanese people are almost side pieces in their own story and just the whole premise of whether there's need to be in Japan at all kind of comes up. Again, a bit of a cultural tourism on Wes's point, best part. But I guess your mileage will vary on whether you can let that go because it does seem well-intended 
And I still think the movie is a lot of fun. I like this more than Fantastic Mr. Fox. It doesn't have like the central performance like George Clooney does as the, you know, as the Mr. Fox. But yeah, uh, I think maybe like visually, I think Isle of Dogs stands out more as it was Nagasaki City, whatever it's called. Like a lot of just really fun stuff going on in this one. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cranston still is really good as Chief, but um, I agree. I don't think you have the the mag the same magnetism that Clooney brought to uh Mr. Fox. Um you know I when I think about this film, it's this is so funny to me. The scene that always sticks in my mind is watching them make the sushi and just like the framing of that shot, how beautiful it was, the the deliberateness the deliberateness with how Wes like showed every step of it didn't like yada yada any parts of it and mm. well that's like a very inconsequential part of the movie i think it just is like a perfect encamp- encapsulation of what what west does well and the ability to like make mundane things seem pretty interesting or or something that you at least want want to watch um and yeah it just feels like a a nice rollicking adventure and obviously couched with uh dogs which people love dogs i obviously love dogs uh makes a really fun film and i think there's a lot of a lot of heart to it as well and you know i think it also gets a little bit more political than a lot of wes's movies Mm. usually get you know talking about like themes of uh immigration uh acceptance of of other people trying to understand other other people other other uh, creatures it's just um I, i think that he takes a some bigger swings with that and i'm wondering if we see something like that continue in french dispatch which has been uh is being taken place in like post world war ii france and i assume there's going to be a lot of subtext from that within the film so definitely interesting to see west move in that direction um yeah i guess as, as we wrap it up and we're now through those nine any just like overall thoughts before we get to our rankings, Dave? Um, hmm. It's cool to see with French Dispatch coming up that he's getting Sertia again, but also getting Timothy Chalamet in, in a piece Huge. of the of the ensemble. He always finds a way to bring new people in. His untitled movie that he's making right now, newcomers include Tom Hanks and Margot Robbie and Rupert Friend. Like, it, it is always cool to see that he brings yeah. new people in and keeps the OGs going. And, yeah, rotating through. Yeah, and even, even if, like, as I've said, like, there are some blind spots in, like, how Wes treats his characters, and he definitely has movies that are, uh, I guess, hard to, like, get behind in full, such as, like, Darjeeling. He still is such an intentional filmmaker that I'm happy to watch any of his misses just because, yeah, he's trying it. Like I said, like, he's one of the last, like, auteurs that manages to have the requisite clout to continue to make things he wants to make so can't be too critical i guess yeah i I totally agree and i think going through the movies in chronological order the thing that just stands out is after mr fox it seems like he's really tapped into something for himself where even like the worst movie post mr fox is probably isle of dogs but we still look at that as a really good movie (laughs) uh so he's he's on a, a nice run right now he has and uh i fully expect Fran- french dispatch which supposedly got a 
nine minute standing ovation after it premiered at was it con i think it, it premiered at um yes so it you know expectations are quite high and i expect this run to continue so um just cool to see him continually operating at these high levels but look when we get to the rankings now dave you know i think i think there's a clear bottom couple movies here mm-hmm. um for me number nine is darjeeling is that your number nine as well uh my number nine is bottle rocket actually my number eight is darjeeling close i, yeah. I don't love either one I think I give Darjeeling the slight edge just because of the scale of it. But mm-hmm. Dolan Wilson performance in Bottle Rocket is probably the best out of anything between those two movies. And Bottle Rocket is less offensive, so maybe I should switch that. Yeah, I, I have <laughs> Bottle Rocket as my number eight, mostly because um, I, I think Owen Wilson's performance is great, but also seeing um, him or seeing that like final scene where they're doing the heist and it starts to go wrong. Um, I just found that to be a really enjoyable scene overall. Um, and, and probably a scene I enjoyed more than anything in Darjeeling. Um, so yeah, we, we have nine and eight, pretty much the same seven for me is life aquatic with Steve Cizzo. Um, same. Yeah. And uh, for all the reasons we talked about, I think it, it's a bit meandering and just kind of like the most Wes Anders Wes Anderson-y movie uh, we could probably, you know he could have possibly made. Um, six, what do you got? Six for me is Rushmore, which to many people I'm sure is way too low, but it's never fully connected with the Max Fisher character. There's still things I like about the film, um, and I understand the cult qualities of it too. Like I feel like the bones of a movie I would love are there, but I just it doesn't quite come together for me personally. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, Dave ha- Dave has tiers. He has a D, C, B, A, and an S tier. Um, Darjeeling and Balarake are in my D tier, and uh, Life Aquatic is in my C tier. But then I put um, Rushmore as the bottom, so I also have a six, but it's at the, at the bottom of my B tier. I see it as yeah, a really that's fair. Um, Yes, he's a really solid movie, and you can see a lot of the bones of the better movies to come. And that cult cult status, I think, is fully deserved. So my number six, your number six, and I think we both have the same five with Isle of Dogs as well. Uh, so I actually have Fantastic Mr. Fox five, Isle of Dogs four, just ahead. Just ah. like Isle of Dogs, a little bit more, um, again, despite the issues with it, which I know is probably the controversial, Fantastic Mr. Fox is beloved. Yeah, well, I, I think it's uh, it's a solid choice, and you can't really go wrong with either. So yeah, I had Isle Dogs, Dogs 5 um, and Moonrise Kingdom 4 for me. I think nice. Um, we just in hearing our conversation, it definitely is a really good movie, but just didn't, I didn't connect with it the same way I think a lot of people did. And then um, I had uh, Isle of Dogs as my uh, as my uh, my 5 and my 4 was Moonrise Kingdom. Sorry, then. So mm-hmm. what did you have as your number three are we up to yeah moonrise kingdom is my number three okay yeah moonrise still really like three. that one and i do give the edge to live action over animation when all things are equal not that all things are equal in this case um but yeah i, I like moonrise kingdom i think it's um probably gonna 
develop like a cult status one day i have to imagine it's kind of hard for his movies now to develop cult status wes anderson's so popular so mainstream in like the filmmaking community and stuff but i wouldn't be surprised if younger kids in gen z that were way too young to have any idea what moonrise kingdom was nine years ago i wouldn't be surprised to see this movie get like a reevaluation and greater appreciation generations to come yeah, I, I I could definitely see that happen as well. Um, I did have fantastic fantastic Mr. Fox right above it. I think that that could flip for me at any point, and the same with my one and two. I feel like could could flip um, at any point. But uh, yeah, fantastic Mr. Fox. I, I talked about just find it to be super enjoyable, uh, fast paced, captivating, and um, I think some of the the best performances, given that they are just voice uh, performances, but um, out of any of the, the films. So that's my number three. And then my S, so that would be my, my eight tier. And then my S tier, similar to you, Dave, is Tenenbaum and Budapest, but I have them flipped. I have uh, Tenenbaum as my number one and Grand Budapest is my number mm-hmm. two. Although I might have talked myself into flipping those just in this yeah. conversation. Th- those can really flip, I think, depending on my, my feeling for the day. Yeah, they definitely could. I Budapest one. Tenenbaum too but yeah definitely could see it flip because both have so much to like so much to recommend so much uh to enjoy revisiting you know I, I think they're clearly the pinnacle of what Wes has done and cool to see them so spread out 13 years apart in his career you know obviously high hopes for friends dispatch it I don't need it to be in his Up top there. tier because his top tier is so hard to crack you know yeah so uh if it's remotely good at all I'll be very pleased yeah, I, I I get the sense French Dispatch is going to be at least in like our, our B tiers, if not higher. Um, but uh, yeah, I I don't need it to be that good to enjoy the movie, which is a really nice place to be as a as an auteur. So um, yeah, our Wes Anderson rankings. Let us know yours in the comments below. Let us know any thoughts you have about the movies as we kind of broke them down. Let us know if you're excited for french dispatch where do you think it will fall on on your list in the future follow us at nostalgia pod dave any last thoughts as we wrap up for today might have to do another movie director ranking soon tarantino already out there youtube.com says nostalgia pod wes anderson in the can now i don't know denny new is releasing a movie the same day as wes anderson another uh, relevant director with about 10 movies out I think that's the rankings in our future. I would love to do a Denny Villeneuve ranking. So stay tuned for that. We'll catch you soon.